0: On today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, we continue with our look at forgiveness with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us.
1: Don't think that any sin in your life just kind of goes under the radar because it doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, sin doesn't
0: really take hostages, beloved. I mean, sin will kill you. The ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Hello and welcome to our program. We're continuing our series entitled Force of Forgiveness. Understanding what forgiveness is all about, the types of forgiveness, how forgiveness is to look, is it complete, is it forgetful as well? The conviction of sin, the calculation of sin, the consequence of sin, the confession and compassion in spite of sin the subject that we'll focus on today as we take a look at the illustration of forgiveness. If you'll join us, we're in Matthew chapter 18, looking at verses 23 through 34. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Matthew chapter 18, we're talking about the
1: force of forgiveness. Last week, we learned a little bit about uh, the subject matter in our, our text, but I just want to read for us the text of Scripture that's before us. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Last week, we looked at the question that Peter posed for us uh, when he asked Jesus, Should I forgive my brother? seven times and we talked a little bit about where he got that number other than number in their thought seven was kind of a sign of perfection Um, I think that Peter the the general Judaic law of the day said you can forgive somebody three times but the fourth time you don't have to (laughs) and so Peter thought well I'll double that and add one and uh, maybe the Lord will pat me on the back as a result of that. But that's not exactly what happened. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times in verse 22, but 70 times seven. And you say, okay, so I can keep track up to 490 and that's it, right? Then I don't have to forgive. No, and that's not what Jesus is saying. Okay, Jesus is saying, basically, there's no end to your forgiveness. Just like there's no end to God's forgiveness for us. And so we looked at that question last week. And we also looked at the testimonies of different people in the Bible. We, we looked at the forgiveness of Jesus and Luke. We looked at a little bit of, uh, we mentioned the forgiveness of David in Genesis 50. Wonderful story of forgiveness. Uh, the forgiveness of Stephen as he was martyred. And also the forgiveness of God as we know in Psalm 51.4. And the key thought last week was every sin that you've ever sinned in your whole life was committed against a holy God. But the neat thing about salvation is that God has forgiven every sin you've ever sinned if you have trusted in Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross. We also mentioned there's two kinds of different forgiveness. There's judicial forgiveness, which means it's on the books once for all. That's what happens when we're saved. God stamps us justified. He transfers the righteousness of Christ to our account. But there's also relational forgiveness. There's daily forgiveness. We know that in our families, and our marriages. Once in a while, maybe you're holding out and not forgiving your spouse or maybe one of your loved ones. And you know what? You lose in that relationship, don't you? You're still related to them. They're still your brother, your sister, your husband or wife or mother or dad. Just because you don't forgive them doesn't change the relationship. But it definitely affects what you might say is the fellowship. It affects what we have with that person. Because there's something in the middle, i.e. unforgiveness. And it's the same way with God. God. We read the scripture, Isaiah one eighteen come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they were red as crimson, they shall become like wool. Now, Today, we want to look at this parable a little closer. Because remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's probably in a home, and he's gathered together with his disciples, and he actually picked up a little infant, and he had that infant on his knee or in his hands as he's teaching them about Matthew 18. And we learned about how you have to be childlike to become into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. You also have to be disciplined as a child and protected as a child and all sorts of things we looked at up to this point. But Peter asked this question, and a lot of people get on Peter for asking questions, but, you know, if you don't ask questions you don't learn. You just got to make sure you ask the right people. It's nothing wrong with asking questions, but a lot of times you have to make sure that you're asking the right people. And that goes the same for believers. I hear a lot of of Christians sometimes, you know, they'll say, well, I'm going to go get counsel. We're going to get marriage counseling, or we're going to get counseling for our kids, or whatever. And I'll say, well, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, you know, Christian counseling. I'll say, that doesn't tell me anything. I mean, there's all kinds of quote, Christian counseling out there today. And so you have to stop and you have to make sure that you're asking the right questions to the right people. Are they giving you biblical answers or are they giving you a bunch of scientific stuff that never really seems to work? Within the word of God, we have biblical principles that if we apply them to our lives, they will activate change in our lives. That's just the way it works. That's how God has laid it out. Well, let's look at this illustration And we're learning here about the importance of forgiveness. About forgiving one another. About not holding vengeance or grudges. Of freeing ourselves, you might say, from that bondage of unforgiveness. It's important that we see that in the life of Jesus, whenever he taught about these kinds of things, he taught a lot about forgiveness. He wanted people to understand what it meant to be forgiven. What it meant to have that forgiveness from God. And he gives us a great example here. He, he tells Peter 70 times 7, and then he tells them a story, a parable, you might say. This is the first parable where the Lord God is really represented by a king in the Gospels. And it's an example of forgiveness. So it's good to understand who's involved in the parable. When you think of the kingdom of heaven, that's speaking of heaven, that's speaking of God, that's speaking of those who, who dwell there. And it says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, not that it is, but it's compared to a king who represents God, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The first thing that we we see here in the parable is that this is, I, I think this is speaking of where the king is God and we are his servants. It's pretty clear because it says there in verse 23, Therefore and what did he just get done talking about he just got done talking about how a Christian should be forgiving another Christian how there should be reconciliation within the body of Christ when a brother or sister sins against you what are you to do you are to go to that person and confront them and in love and humility seeking reconciliation and if they don't listen to you you take somebody else with you two or three And if they don't listen to that then you come back and you tell the group of Christians that you're with hey I tried to reach out to so and so but so and so is not responding So then the whole group of believers that you're part of reaches out to that person. And if that person still doesn't respond, then it says that group of believers, here it's called the church, should treat that person as an outsider. Pretty hard stance. But the goal is to draw that person back, is to to reconcile that person. And so we know that he's talking about that because of the context. And so the very first thing there, he says, therefore, if the kingdom of heaven is like, in, like a certain king who would take account of his servants. When you see that word servant, most modern translations have the word servant there. It should really be the word slave. But in our society, in our culture, that's such a negative term that we just kind of brussel against that. But really, that's what, what it's talking about here. It means bond slave or bond or slave. And we kind of dressed it up with those other terms, but if you want a good resource on understanding what this, what this is talking about and how our culture should relate to that, read that book by MacArthur called Slave. It'll give you a whole different aspect as far as your, a whole different point of view as far as your Christianity and that we truly are called slaves of Christ. Well, this king had these servants and it says in verse 24 that he would, uh, or in, in verse 23 that he would settle accounts that kind of tells us that these servants were not just sweeping the floor in his estate. They were probably over a certain portion of his estate, and he would send them out to watch over the fields or to watch over a certain segment of his estate, and at a certain point in time, he would draw them back, and he'd say, okay, how's, how are the fields doing? What, how much do we make in the crops? How are the, you know, the sheep doing? Whatever. And they would have to give an account whatever they've been entrusted to. You know, God does the same thing with us, doesn't he? he? He gifts us in certain ways. We all have a myriad of different gifts and different talents. And we have to stop and say, are we using them for just our own betterment or our own agenda? Or are we using them for his glory and for his gain? And that's really what this subject matter here is talking about when he talks about the king and his servants. There's an, an accounting One day we'll stand before the Lord. One day there'll be a judgment day. Judgment day will come. We just don't know the day or the hour. And God obviously has gifted us all in a myriad of ways. And so he basically points out here in verse 23 that you know what? One day you're going to appear before a holy God and one day you're going to have to settle accounts with the God of glory. Examples of that throughout scripture remember the apostle Paul before he was Paul he was Saul and he was on the road to go persecute some more Christians because not just because he was a mean guy but he really believed that he was doing a good thing and getting rid of the Christians because he was a Pharisee he was a a, a Jew and these guys are standing in the way of our religion and so he wanted to kind of rid the world of them and he would go out and he would oversee executions of them all the time thinking he was doing the right thing he's deceived And yet, all of a sudden, God took a hold of him on the road to Damascus. You know the story. Slammed him down to the earth. Blinded him. Why? He was calling him to account. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, he wasn't doing it, he didn't think, to God. He thought he was doing it for God, for the name of his religion. But Christ himself appeared to him. Every one of us will one day have to give an answer for our sin. Personal private. Your sin may not hurt anybody else but yourself. But you know what? It hurts God. It grieves the heart of God. And there's that conviction of sin that you see here with the the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. One day we're going to have to settle accounts with God. All of us who know Christ, at one time it was settled. When we came to Christ, our accounts are already settled. If you're outside of Christ, you're weighed in the balance which is, as we're going to find out here, a lot. Well, the second thing in verse 24 here is he not only set, wants to settle this account with his servant, the parable goes on, but he says in verse 24, when he began to settle one, settle the account, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's just say that's a whole, whole lot of money, all right? I mean, you can go into all the details. Well, maybe it was this much, if gold cost this much today, maybe... It was more money than you have ever, ever, ever even thought of. I mean, this, this amount of money probably makes, you know, Bill Gates seem like a pulper. That's the idea here. That's the, 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 the in the original language, that's kind of what is, is made here. Now, remember, this is a parable. He's telling a story. He's using this as an illustration. The largest numerical term in the Greek language is 10,000. That's the largest. That's the top. They don't have a million, they don't have all this other stuff, they just have 10,000. And it's not really an exact number, it just means kind of infinity. And so he owed this king billions and billions and zillions of dollars, if you want to say that. And it says in verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Well, there's a calculation of sin that takes place. Have you ever stopped and have you ever thought, you know what, I wonder if I could write down all my sins on a piece of paper. Just start writing them down. Ever since, you know, you can be, I mean, I can remember back when I was a little kid doing things that, you know, little kids should not do. I mean, I remember going into, as a good Catholic does once a week, goes into the confessional. And I'd lie to the priest because I didn't have anything to say to him. So I'd make stuff up to the priest on the other side of the screen. You know, I thought, well, okay, uh, I was disobedient. I did this. I did, okay, you know, go say three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers and, you know. And I often thought, I wonder if he knows that I'm lying to him. And if I'm lying to him and I really didn't do this stuff, then why do I have to go out there and kneel and say these prayers? I mean, I was thinking that all this stuff the whole time. See, there's going to be a calculation of our sin. Don't think that any sin in your life just kind of goes under the radar because it doesn't hurt anybody I mean sin doesn't really take hostages, beloved I mean sin will kill you and we should stop and we should reflect on our own lives. how are our lives before a holy God? are there things maybe in our in our lives in our personal lives in our personal marriages in our personal relationship with our kids in our in our financial dealings in our, our dealings that work, whatever it might be are there are there little sins that, that are there but you know they're not really hurting anybody don't think that God doesn't Take those into account. He does. And it says here that when this, this man basically was calculated to owe more than what he could pay, and sin will always leave you in that state, you'll never end up with sin in your lap saying, wow, this was worth it. In the end, in the end maybe. May not happen till the end, but in the end you will be sorely disappointed if you're not taking your sins seriously before a holy God. Well, look at the consequences. Verse 25 It says, and since he could not pay, this this was more than he could ever even imagine to pay back. His master ordered him to be sold. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. With his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. This is a hard thing, I think, for us to understand in our culture. I mean, if someone did this, we would just be like, that's horrible. Back then, it was, it was kind of a, they could relate to this story. If you had a servant that was dishonest, or you had a servant that took something from you, or you had to bring back what you owed your, your boss. And if you couldn't do that, then repercussions fell. And the law had certain things written into it. But you know what? Sin has consequences, Definitely has consequences. Here, this poor guy lost his family. Was going to, I should say. And that's the kind of punishment that sin dishes out. It's not something that that we should laugh at. Because sin always hurts someone, whether yourself or someone else. Well, look at what happens in verse 26. And so the servant fell on his knees before his master, imploring him. Begging him is the idea. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. But you know what? He could have worked the rest of his life and could never have repaid this. That's the idea. That's, that's what's in the language here. This debt was so massive. There's no way. I mean, that's kind of what happens, I think, when we're caught In a sin, the first thing we end up doing is falling down to our knees. Then, all of a sudden, prayer becomes real relevant to us and something that is bumped up in the priority list, you know, when we're looking at issues in our lives, whether it's illness or finance or relationships. All of a sudden, we have some problems. And, oh, oh, all of a sudden, we got to make time for God to pray and, you know, ask Him to intercede on our behalf. And all of a sudden, we become very spiritual. Well, this guy had the right idea. He fell down, it says. That's the right position. I think he was at the end of his rope. He was devastated. You know, you see it going on even today. I mean, people are in financial straits today. You know, this economy, everything um, is just wreaking havoc in people's lives. And you see it on their faces. You see it in their relationships. Devastating. It says there that he fell down, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you all. He really took the position of... One who is worshiping somebody. See, the servant doesn't understand the impossibility of paying back his debt. He doesn't get it. And you know what? There's a lot of broken people in the world today that are devastated in their lives. They're just devastated. They're at the end of the rope. And yet they still don't get it. They still don't understand that they have to come before a holy God and just just ask him. Just give their life to him and say, God, do what you want with me. Unfortunately, so many people get caught in situations and, and they think somehow, well, now I've I got to get back to work. I've got to shape my life up. I've got to become a better person. I made some bad choices. I want to turn over a new leaf. That, that doesn't work, beloved. Those are empty words. Here, this guy, basically, he admitted to his sin. He acknowledged the lostness of his condition. But he still doesn't get the idea that this debt couldn't be repaid. And so he begs for a chance at it. He begs at a chance, promising to do the best he can. It's like people who come under the conviction of the Lord for sin in their life and or maybe they're found out or whatever and rather than just go to God and admit it and and say, God, I, I, I need you. I'm at the end of my rope in desperation. I'm crying out to you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. So many people today in the midst of their conviction, what do they turn to? They turn to religion or they turn to this or they turn to that. You need to turn to Christ. He's the only one who can forgive you. So many people think that, well, I'll do that, but first I've got to straighten out situations. I've got to get cleaned up. I've got to become a better person. Then I'll, I'll do this whole Christian thing. No. God wants you just as you are. He wants you to come to him with a broken heart, with your confusion, with your doubt, with everything that you have, and lay it on the altar and say, God, you know what? Here it is. My life's a mess. It's yours. And so he begs for a chance servant so fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Do you know that you could, you could work till you died? You could do good works through the rest of your life. Say you lived another 50 years. You could do 10 good works every day for the rest of your 50 years. And you know what? That would never be enough work to appease God. God's never going to look at your work, beloved, and say, Oh, you did that. Oh, you sang in the choir. Oh, you played the piano. Oh, you helped the homeless. Oh, you did this. Oh, you did that. Oh, good. (laughs) He's not going to say that. The Bible says our works are like filthy rags before a holy God. What does that mean? That we shouldn't do good works? No. The Bible says that God has prepared before the foundation of the world our good works that we should perform. But that's after our commitment to Him. If you're. Pre-Christ, if if you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, you can read your Bible, you can go to church, you can pray, you can do all these good things, feed the homeless, you know, till the cows come home. It's not going to change your standing before God. Your standing before God is that you're a sinner and you will be sent to hell. That's it. I mean, as basic as I can get it. Well, what if I just try a little hard? See, that's the problem. You need to stop trying. Just give it up. Just give in to God. He doesn't want all your good works. He wants your heart. He wants to take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. He wants to make you a new person in Christ. And you can only do that when you come to him and you admit your fault, you confess your sin. Well, it also says here in verse 27, look at what happens with the king. And out of pity for him, out of pity for his servant, you see the compassion of God revealed here. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt, a debt that could not be repaid. We used to sing a little song, if I can get it right, in, in youth ministry. And it said, I owe a debt I cannot pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Speaking of Christ, he loosed him and he forgave him.
0: Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Or visit our website, gracefultruth.org now, to take a look at an event coming up, once again, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our
2: listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 6th, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author, Cynthia Heald, for our Fall Women's Tea. Cynthia uses her speaking engagements and Bible studies and books to encourage women around the world to deepen their relationship with God. I'm sure you're familiar with her popular Becoming a Woman of Bible Study series, which includes the best-selling Becoming a Woman of Excellence and Becoming a Woman of Freedom. The focus of our women's tea this year here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, on October 6th will be her book, Uncommon Beauty, Seven Qualities of a Beautiful Woman. You know firsthand, ladies, how hectic the world can be today and the demands that are placed upon you. Well, we want to give you the opportunity to break away from your routine for just one Saturday afternoon and come together for some great fellowship and teaching based on God's Word. Why not plan on being here Saturday, October 6th from 1130 to 3 p.m. for a wonderful time of fellowship and teaching from Cynthia on Uncommon Beauty, Seven Qualities of a Beautiful Woman. I'm sure you'll enjoy the time together and walk away with a renewed sense of purpose and commitment to Christ. All the registration information can be found on our church website at gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available online. You simply download it, fill it out, and mail it to the address given with your registration fee. If you have any questions, you can simply call us here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. I'd like to encourage you to register early because we have limited seating. Well, once again, we'd like to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend. And it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how
0: this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for joining us here today on Graceful Truth. Until next week, God bless.